Well, hey, um, what I want to do today is this. I want to jump straight into a Bible passage that we're going to kind of be teaching out of today. Um, and once we read that, we're going to kind of work our way out of that and build out of that together. Okay. So what I want to do is read through that together. Um, we're going to be in Luke chapter 15. It's going to be, we're going to be reading verses 8 through 10. So if you want to take a second and find that either on your phone or your tablet or your paper Bible, if you're old school, it's also going to be on the screen. So you can read along with me there. So Luke chapter 15, let's read this together. The story Jesus is telling, um, he's just telling a story. Just keep that in mind as I read this. So Jesus says this. He says, suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and she loses one. Doesn't she then light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now, before we do anything else, let's pray together. Okay, can we pray again? Heavenly Father, you are so good to us. God, we're in awe each and every week as we come here to worship you and to learn from your word, um, to see the ways that you're moving in our church. God, as we dive in today, as we enter into your word, as we step into your presence to worship you and to learn from you, would you open our eyes, open our hearts to be able to receive what it is that you want to show us? God, would you soften our hearts um, to be able to learn what your spirit um, is doing here today? God, and we'll give you all the thanks and all the praise and all the glory for what you're going to do through your word today. And we pray all this in your holy and precious name. Everyone said, amen, amen. amen. So hi, my name is Brendan. So let's go <laughs> this route. Um, this is not what I normally do here, okay? So I'm just going to say that first. Um, I am one of the pastors here, but what I typically do, my kind of week-to-week duties involve um, leading our, our student ministry throughout the week and also leading this incredible group of musicians um, that you see on stage pretty much here every Sunday morning. Um, and something that was kind of amazing to me as I was kind of thinking through this, this is my third Christmas season I've gotten to spend here at the Center Church, which is pretty incredible to me. A lot of you will be like, wow, that feels like a lot longer than that. And for me, I, I, I kind of, I'm, I'm shocked that it's been that long. It feels um, in, incredibly short, the time that I've been here. Um, but I wanted to tell you guys, before I even get started, that being able to, to have this be my church, this is not just a job for me. Um, this is not just a mini ministry position for me. Um, this is my church family. Um, and I mean that in the truest sense. And I don't mean that in the sense that this is where I show up on Sunday morning to sing and to play with this band um, and to learn from our pastor together. I mean that in the sense that this is my family. The Center Church is my family. Um, and the incredible thing about that, being here the last three Christmas seasons, is I look around the room and I see a lot of faces that are not just my church people, they're my very best friends in the world. And so I wanted to just tell you all on, from the outset um, that this, it's one of the blessings of my life to be able to be here and to be able to serve with you guys and worship with you guys. So I wanted to tell you guys all that. So let's start with this. Um, can you guys see what I'm holding in my hand right now? Can anyone know what this is? Okay. My thought was that you guys weren't going to be able to see it, so I brought a picture just in case. Um, but it turns out you can see it. It is a guitar pick. Does anyone want it? I'm not going to give it to you. And I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. This is not just a guitar pick. I'll, I'll give it to you later. No, don't worry. Um, this is not just a guitar pick, okay? This is an orange, if you can tell. It's orange. might look different on the screen. This is an orange Everly 0.6 millimeter gauge guitar pick with 
if you can see, a little hole punched in the middle. You probably see it on the screen. Now, it's not just any guitar pick. These are my guitar picks. Now, they're very important to me. And if you've been around the Center Church for any length of time and you're kind of an observant person, anyone consider themselves a highly observant person? I'm not in that category at all. If you've been around, though, you've probably noticed something about the way that I lead worship on Sunday morning. And that does not have anything to do with any of my, like, quirks or weird faces or body movements that I make when I'm like singing and playing guitar, but you may have noticed that every single Sunday morning that I'm here with you guys at the Center Church leading worship, I have a handful of these picks with me. And sometimes they're like clipped into the stand just like this. Sometimes they're sitting on my music stand. I'm always, I obviously have one in my hand. If you ever wonder what that little orange thing is that I have in my right hand, every single Sunday morning, I have one of those. Now I'm not like a super OCD person. I wouldn't like consider myself that, but I have some little streaks of OCD in me. Does anyone kind of relate to that? Like, you're not like, you don't consider yourself super OCD, but about a couple little things, you kind of, you're a little OCD, right? So one of those things for me is my guitar picks. And it's gotten to the point now, and it's getting kind of bad, I think, because it's gotten to the point now where I get up here on Sunday morning and I feel legitimately unprepared to lead you guys in worship and play guitar unless I have at least like three of my orange Everly 0.6 millimeter guitar picks with a little hole punched in the middle. And why that is, there's a lot of different reasons. It's the perfect gauge. It helps me to not drop it. There's all those different things. But um, you may have noticed that about me. Now, we, it, it, it's not like even just here at, at the Center Church either. It's every single time I play guitar, this is kind of what that situation is like for me. We do these worship events. They're called Encounter that me and some of my friends do together. Me and some of like it's a few area like worship pastors and leaders and we do these community worship nights and they're super, super fun. They're awesome. I think God is glorified every time we do one of them, but I'll never forget there was one event that we did where I had, it was a, a guitar pick holder, just like the one clipped on this microphone stand right here. John, I'll leave this for you later. Um, and it was filled, it had like six or 10 of my guitar picks like stuck in it, okay? So we go through the whole day, go through rehearsal. My, my guitar picks are there. I know where they are. I know like right when I'm going to need one, if I ever drop one or anything like that, it's going to be right there, okay? Go through the whole day like that. Go through the whole day. We get to the end of the night. It's gonna, the worship night's about to start, okay? Countdown video's on the screen. The band is taking the stage. I walk out, and my guitar pick thing is gone. I don't know where it is. I don't know who touched it. I don't know who moved it. All I know is there's 30 seconds on the countdown before we have to start. I walk out. I see my guitar picks are gone, and I leave. Walked off the stage. Walked off the stage. I, I'm not going to do it without my guitar picks. I can't. I can't do it without my guitar picks. So I, t I take off. I go back in the green room. I'm turning stuff upside down. I'm looking in my, in my backpack. I'm looking. I'm rifling through, like, other people's possessions. But I don't know why. Like, I don't know why I'm assuming that, like, maybe someone else wanted my guitar picks. And I'll never forget. My buddy, ran, he, like, runs off the stage. One of the guys I'm leading worship with, he's like, B, 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 what's going on? What's going on? Like, we got we to gotta start, like, now. I'm like, well, I, I, it's so my guitar picks are gone. Like, I don't, I don't know where they went. He's like, oh, well, here, I've got, you know, I've got a couple extra ones. You can just use one of mine. I'm like, no, 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 it's, it's fine. Like, I'll, I'll find mine. I'll find mine now. That's what I'm doing. That's why I'm back here. No, no, no seriously, B, like, just take some of mine. Like, we got to go. It's like, no, 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 it's cool. It's cool. I'm, I'm sure they're here somewhere. Like, B, you don't understand. There's like two seconds left on the count. Sam, you don't understand. You don't understand. I need my orange Everly guitar picks, 0.6 millimeter with hole punch in the middle. You guys get it. You guys get it. It's a big deal. And we come back to the story that we just read a minute ago in Luke chapter 15. This woman that we're reading about who's looking for this coin, she's in the middle of a full-on 
turn the, light the candles, sweep the floor, turn the house upside down, strip search for a lost coin. She's looking for a coin. Have you guys ever had like a strip search of your house? Is that a term you guys use? Or is that just something that my mom said growing up? <laughs> sounds, sounds, I guess, a little weird in that setting. But my mom used to say, we lose something important and like we couldn't find it. My mom would be like, all right, strip search in the house. So that means we turn everything upside down. We go through everything. I have these um, Apple AirPods. Anyone know what those are? They're like Bluetooth headphones. They're like a really, really, really awesome invention. They connect to your iPhone. It's really cool. The problem is they're tiny and there's no like cord connecting them. So they're super easy to lose, like super easy to lose. And I lose them pretty much every day. I lose them once a day, basically. Um, and there are times where I have to go through a full on strip search of my apartment to find my Apple AirPods, taking the sheets off my bed, looking in drawers, looking in the bathroom, in the kitchen. If you walked into my apartment one time, let's just say for example, and I'm like, I've got everything turned upside down. I'm looking for those and I don't know where they are, and I've got things flipped upside down, you'd be like, B, what's going on? What are you looking for? I tell you, I'm lo I lost my Apple AirPods. You'd be like, oh, dude, that sucks. Let me, like, where, like, where's the last time you saw them? Like, are they in the kitchen? Like, where'd you leave them? If you came into my apartment one day, and I've got furniture flipped upside down, I'm sweaty, I'm disheveled, I'm frantic, I'm looking around my apartment, and you go, B, what's going on? What are you looking for? And I said, I lost a guitar pick. You'd be like, all right. Cool. And you'd kind of probably slowly step out of my apartment and be like, I left something in my car, I'll be back later, and you wouldn't show up again. Because that's insane. That's like the behavior of a crazy person. Except it's not crazy to me. Those picks are valuable to me. I can't play guitar, you guys, without those guitar picks. Might as well just not play. Those picks are valuable to me. So the woman in the story... She has 10, co 10 coins, right? She loses one, she still has nine. Reason would suggest that she's gonna be just fine. Nine coins is a lot of coins, it's a lot of money. Bible says it's about a day's wage, right? So, and if she lost it in her house, which is likely, given the period, a one-room house, it's gonna turn up, but that's not good enough for this woman. She's flipping her house upside down, she's strip searching her house so that she can find this lost coin. The Bible says she searches until she finds it. Not till the sun goes down, till it's inconvenient to stop looking, till she gets tired and she gives up and she goes to bed. She searches until it's found. Now, the interesting thing about this is Jesus himself wrote this story. So this isn't like Jesus retelling an ancient story that everyone would understand. Jesus kind of just makes this up off, off, the, off the top of his head in response to kind of what's going on around him. And I think when we see Jesus do that, he's telling a story that's unique to him. We have to kind of begin to look deeper, look deep into what Jesus is trying to say. Because I think it's too much, the story is too much for it to just be sort of a cute story that Jesus is trying to teach about a woman who loses a coin. I think there's something more there. And I think what that is, I think Jesus is trying to make a point about value. Because we look at um, all, of, all three of these stories familiar with the, with the book of, of Luke chapter 15, you might have heard some of these other stories. Jesus tells three stories back to back. The first one is a story about a shepherd who loses some sheep. He has a hundred sheep, loses one, leaves the 99 in the country, in the field, and go and search for the one. When he finds it, he calls all his friends together and they have a party because they found the lost sheep. Then there's a the story of the coin, which we just read. And at the end of that, there's a story of a lost son, a son that goes wayward um, and is found at the end of the story. And there's a, there's a party, again, at the end of the story. Um, you look at all three stories, 
And you have to ask yourself, why is it so important to Jesus to tell all three of these stories? The interesting thing about all three of these stories is the value of the thing that goes missing, whether it's a thing or a person, is not determined by what the thing is actually worth. It's not determined by what you can get for that thing. It's not determined by the actual intrinsic value that that thing holds in and of itself. The value of the thing that is lost is always, in all three of these stories, determined by the owner. Determined by the owner of the thing that goes missing. So you take the story of the coin again. Coins in ancient times would have had the image of the ruler, the one singular ruler, engraved on the coin. You've got a picture of it up here, what that might have looked like. And it's not all in like, you know, what we have today, right? So you think of a quarter whose face is on the quarter. George Washington, right? Think of a penny whose face is on the penny. Abe Lincoln, good. So we have like previous rulers kind of scattered across our money, but in ancient times, the one singular ruler of the day would have his face put on all of the money. And the interesting thing about that was, I think that served as a constant reminder that no matter what happened to that money, whether it changed hands, no matter who had it at the time, whether it was bought or sold or haggled for, whatever it might have been, it serves as a, const as a constant reminder um, of who's ultimately in charge of that money. Who's ultimately really in charge of all of the money? So if we rewind the clock a little bit, um, in Mark chapter 12, I'm not going to put it up on the screen, but in Mark chapter 12, um, the Bible has a story. Do you remember the story where there's a guy and he's asking Jesus about taxes? Anyone familiar with that story? Kind of nod your head. Yeah. Okay. So there's a story and I'll tell you, it's, it, this is basically how it goes. There's a guy, he's a religious guy, a Pharisee. Um, he comes to Jesus um, and he simply asks Jesus a question about taxes. He says, hey, Jesus, you're a pretty smart guy. What is, uh, what's the deal with taxes? Do we, do we have to pay those? Or like, do you, is that right? Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar? Um, now, the guy knows exactly what he's doing. He's, he's a smart guy, but he's a, also a religious guy who's not a super big fan of Jesus. And he knows that if he can catch Jesus saying something negative about paying taxes, that he can kind of catch Jesus in the act of doing something that would be maybe punishable. So he knows exactly what he's doing when he asks Jesus this question. Jesus, being the incredibly wise and smart guy that he is, decides to respond with a question, which is classic Jesus, textbook Jesus. He responds with another question. So Jesus goes, um, yeah, do you have a coin? The guy goes, yeah, sure. Hands him a coin. Jesus takes it. He shows the guy the coin. And he says, whose image is on this coin? And the guy goes, well, it's Caesar's, obviously. Like, we know that. We can see it. We look at it. Jesus goes, Okay. Why don't you then give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, but give to God what belongs to God? End of story. No follow-up question, nothing else. It's weird because it's like it's a little confusing. Like a lot of scholars have debated what, what, was, what was meant by that. Um, but check this out. If we rewind a little bit more even, so take another step back. We're going to go to Genesis 1. So just like a hair, like a, just a little bit further back to the beginning of time. Um, <laughs> We see this other story that's also really cool. We get this incredible picture of how, it, how exactly it is that God creates human beings. Um, this is Genesis chapter 1. I'm going to throw this on the screen as well. This will be 20, verses 26 through 27. And God says this, very beginning of time. Then God said, let us make man in our own image, according to our likeness. 
Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. I think Jesus knows exactly what he's doing in these stories, when he's telling these stories. I think what Jesus is doing is he's connecting stories back to the very beginning of time to show the amazing and unreasonable infinite value that all human beings have because why? Because we bear the image of our creator. Jesus is saying Caesar can have all the money. He put his face on that. That, That's his. He can have the money. But I want all of the people because I put my face on them. They bear my image. So Caesar can have the money. That's fine. Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, but give to God what belongs to God. So the funny thing is, do you know why Jesus finds it so important to tell all three of these stories? I was thinking about that. I'm like, he, it's, it's three stories with essentially the same idea. Something goes missing. It's found. There's a party. Same story three times, essentially. I was kind of thinking about why it might be that Jesus would tell kind of the same story with the same moral three times. Um, And what's interesting is if you look back at the beginning of that chapter of Luke chapter 15, which is the very first passage we read, what leads to Jesus telling that story is he hears a guy, another religious guy, interestingly, muttering. The Bible says he's muttering. You ever hear anyone like muttering? I hate that. Except I'm the mutterer sometimes. Like I'm the mutterer a lot of the time. So I kind of get it. But he overhears someone muttering. He says this, one sentence. One sentence this guy says starts Jesus on these three separate stories. The guy says this, just overhears him say, this man, this man, he welcomes sinners and he eats with them. And I feel like if you slow it down and you think about what that guy might be trying to say, you can just hear the disdain in his voice. Ugh, ugh, this guy, he welcomes sinners and he, not only that, but he eats with them. And you can tell this guy is just disgusted by this uh, behavior of Jesus. He's saying, who, who, who are these people? Who are the outcasts of society? Who are these gross, sinful people that Jesus thinks it's, it's worth his time to spend time with them? Which is to say, th- if you think about it, I am worthy of that time, this religious person. I, in fact, I am more valuable. I am more worthy than this person or that person or this person because of my religious status or because of my faith or whatever it might be. But who, who, what is Jesus doing spending time with these people? And I think it just, it, it, I think it stops Jesus in his tracks, causes him to tell all three of this story, these stories because what he hears is someone failing to acknowledge the value of one of his precious chosen children that he loves and that he created and that bear his image. Someone's refusing or unable to acknowledge the value that those people have, the people that Jesus chose to spend his time with. So, and Jesus, you, you see this throughout the Bible, Jesus is very protective of children and of his children, of, of people um, that he wants to draw unto himself. He's very protective. Now, I don't have kids, like technically, but, but I am a youth pastor. So it's kind of the same thing, if you think about it. It's really, <laughs> it's really not. It's really not. No kids. I have no kids. I have no kids. I am a youth pastor, though, so stick, stick with me. So check this out. 
Um, I, like I, I mentioned earlier, I've been here, this is my third Christmas season here. I've been, this is my third school year that I've gotten to spend with these students. And the funny thing about that is when you spend three years in student ministry, you get to see like kids grow up. And that's the, I didn't realize how obvious that was going to sound when I made my, that in my notes, but you get to see them grow up kind of like age wise, not always like maturity wise, but you get to see them like progress through life. Um, and what's really crazy is when you have like, when I started here, I have middle schoolers that are now in high school. I have like young high schoolers that are like now driving and doing stuff like that. And one of the single craziest things that you get to experience with students as they start to get older, I feel like, um, is that they're exploring one specific area of their life that you haven't seen them explore yet and that can give you a lot of anxiety. Um, and that's dating. Dating. Guys, some of these kids are dating. They're dating. These are kids. My kids. My kids that I saw grow up go from being too young to date to like kind of old enough to start maybe having relationships with boyfriends and girlfriends. And that freaks me out. That gives me so much anxiety. I, I can't tell you. It's, it's bizarre to me and it's embarrassing to me. I embarrass myself when I, the way I see myself respond to students dating. Like it, freak, it freaks me out. Now, parents in the room, I'm going to say this. I'm not going to pretend for one second. I'm not going to pretend for one second that I understand the extent to which it may cause you anxiety and worry to experience your children dating for the first time. All I am saying, all I'm trying to say is that I have witnessed myself say things to our students that I haven't heard since my mom said them to me when I was their age. And I'm serious. Like things, things that I'm just like, I'm like, how do I remember? Someone told me that once. Like, do they love Jesus? Do they, do they love Jesus? Okay, is he going to be first? Is he going to come first in your guys' relationship? What? Like, <laughs> make wise choices. <laughs> do the right thing. Remember who you are and what you stand for. <laughs> it's like things I remember my mom saying. I'm just like, mom? <laughs> like, remember who it is that you really belong to. It's not him. It's not even me. It's Jesus. And I'm just like, why do I do this? It's embarrassing to me. It's embarrassing to our students, for sure, for sure. But more importantly, it's embarrassing to me. I embarrass myself. But why is it that I do that? Like, why do I, ugh, like, why do I get that way about our kids dating? I'll tell you why. Because they're valuable to me. Because those kids' lives matter to me. Their safety their, their ability to know that God loves them and has called them according to a purpose that matters to me. So how much more, how much more then are they valued by the God who made them? Who made them and who loves them and who knows them intimately and has called them according to his purpose and who's taken his image and placed them on each and every one of them and said, my son, you're my daughter, you are mine, you belong to me. You bear my image. Um, I'm going to have the band come back up here. You guys can jump up. Um, and I just wanted to close um, with a story. As I was um, getting ready to do this, which was a long process because this is hard for me, <laughs> um, I was just thinking about how I wanted to end, how I wanted to close this morning and what I wanted to end with. And sort of interestingly, I don't think it's 
honestly that interesting. I think it was God and I think it was um, providential that I had this conversation, but I ended up having a conversation with a really, really good friend of mine. Um, now this friend um, is from West Michigan. She used to live here, but has recently moved down south. Something about the weather being nicer down there, something ridiculous like that. It doesn't make any sense. But um, I, I, she was in town um, for the holidays and was getting to spend Christmas up here in Michigan. Um, and I was, as I was talking to her, I just remember asking her, I said, man, you, you must just be like so excited to be home, like for the holidays. And like, are you going to, I bet you can't wait to spend time with your family over Christmas and over um, on Sunday morning and like go to church with, with your family and, and everything like that. And um, what she said to me kind of shocked me because what she said was, or what, I guess what I actually ended up asking her was, are you going to church with your family this Sunday? Like, because that's like a thing that I love to do. I'm excited to do. I'm excited when my parents come here on Sunday morning. I asked her, are you excited to go to church with your family Sunday morning? And she said, yeah, yeah, um, I'm not I'm not actually going to church with my family this Sunday morning. Um, and she starts to tell me the story. She said, there's this young woman um, that I've been pouring into and I've been talking to. I've been friends with her for a couple of years now. And I think, I, I just feel like she doesn't, she doesn't know Jesus yet, but I feel like she might be close. So I'm just doing what I can do. Um, I'm gonna try to do what I can do to get her into church this Sunday morning to get her and her children into church. And, 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 I'm, and I'm gonna make sure that they have a ride um, to a church that's close to their house, to a church that knows Jesus and believes in Jesus and believes in people making decisions to follow Jesus. Um, and what I'm doing this Sunday is I'm just gonna make sure she can get there. And I said, what? I mean, guys, I'll be honest with you. I went through this Christmas season not really thinking about anything besides how I couldn't wait to spend time with my family and my friends. And I can tell you that if I had like a couple weeks off, like if I had a couple weeks away from my normal duties and got to spend time with my family, if I didn't work here, I can tell you there'd be some Sunday mornings where I would probably just stay home with my family. But I can tell you where my mind doesn't immediately go. My mind doesn't immediately go to who needs to know? Who needs to know Jesus? Who can I bring to church this Sunday morning? Who can I go out of my way, not spend time with my family, go out of my way and spend time um, ministering to them and trying to get them into a relationship with Jesus. And I think about um, just the story that she started to tell me. And um, it's a story about this, this, this young woman named Julie. Now, Julie had a really rough home life. Things were not perfect for her growing up. It's a broken family. Um, there was abuse in the home. There were poor life decisions being made. It was not a nurturing, caring environment. Um, and Julie ended up dropping out of high school early um, when she met this guy named Paul. Now, her and Paul have been together for a while now, and actually, Julie and Paul now have four children together. Um, I don't believe they're married. I think they're just dating still. Um, the, the interesting and kind of sad thing about that is their home life now is not all that unlike the, the life that Julie grew up with. It's broken. Um, it's fractured. They're struggling to make ends meet. Um, but the amazing thing about this story is my friend was just sharing this with me. Um, Julie is kicking butt as a mom. Kicking butt as a mom. She is doing everything that she can. She is working hard. She is raising those kids right. And my friend told me, these kids are so well behaved. They're such sweethearts and they're awesome. Um, but it's just a rough home life. And a big part of that is because of the guy, Paul. Um, Paul is not so easy to root for. Because Paul is 
a little bit of a deadbeat. He's a bad father. He's not a great boyfriend. He's not nurturing. He's not supportive in the home. And it's my knowledge that Julie is pretty much the spiritual and leadership head of that household. Now you think about this story and you think about Julie. Julie's a lost coin, right? Infinitely loved, infinitely valuable to God, bears the image of, 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 of Jesus, of God. And, um, and I think, I believe in my heart is that God is in hot pursuit of Julie. And I, I believe that she's going to make a decision for Christ soon. That's the easy part, though. That's the easy part. Because everyone, every single one of us in this room, as I tell that story, we're pro-Julie. We're on the sidelines of Julie's life going, let's go. You're doing so good. Like, we're so happy for you. We're so excited for you. Like, you raised those kids. Like, come on. Like, she's doing great. We want her to come to know Jesus, right? The hard thing is that I think Paul's a lost coin, too equally valued, equally loved, equally being pursued by God. And every single one of us in this room, I think, can relate to my instinct, which is, I don't like that guy. I don't like that guy. My, the first thought in my mind is, I don't, I, I'm not going to stay up at night hoping that he comes to know Jesus. And I hate that about the way I think. I hate that. And I think the reason is that I think that way because we have been trained to think about value in a certain way. We're trained to think about value in terms of what has this person done to earn it, to deserve it? Like, what, what have you done for me lately sort of thing? But when we think that way about value, we completely miss the Bible. We completely miss what Jesus is trying to say about it. That every single one of us in this room, outside of this room, in our neighborhoods, our communities, our workplaces, are filled with people who bear the image of God and are infinitely loved and infinitely valued by Him. And when we have this mentality of, have they earned it? Have they deserved it? It really breaks that up. Because according to the Bible, every single one of us bear the image of God. And a lot of us have been through a lot of things. You keep that coin analogy going. Um, how many of you seen a quarter that you pretty much are like, I might as well just throw this away. This does not look good. This is covered in dirt. It's disgusting. It's obviously, it, it's, it's old. It's been through a lot. It's dinged up. It's scratched. But guys, they, every single one of them bears the image of their creator. Every single one of them. Um, what I want to do, um, well, I guess what I want to say is this. When we start to understand that value, then the search for lost coins, for lost people becomes urgent. But I really believe it's only when we understand the value of human beings that that search becomes urgent. And then taking that a step further, when that search becomes urgent, when that search becomes urgent, it forces us to make a decision. Because we can leave this room today with the same mindset that we had um, walking in about the value of people. And, I, and I'm, guys, I'm in this category. I'm, I'm with this 100%. Um, I am equally guilty of thinking of value in this way. But we could go out of here thinking, I'm going to show value to people who earn it and deserve it and I think are, are, are worth talking to Jesus about. Or we can choose to be moved by the words of Jesus in this passage enough to believe that every single human being carries that value with them. Um, so what I want to do is this. Can we all just, can we bow our heads and close our eyes just for a moment? I want to pray a prayer over us today.
And then we're going to sing um, and we're going to worship Jesus and it's going to be awesome. But the first thing I want to do is pray. Now, um, I want to give you a chance to make that decision here just for a moment. There are people in this room right now, I believe this, that have not yet fully realized how valuable they are to God. They have not yet fully realized how how awesome and valued and precious and they loved by they and loved they are by the creator that places his image on every single one of us. If that's you today, if you've walked through your life thinking, man, I'm too far gone, I'm too gross, I can't be forgiven, I can't, God is never gonna let this one thing go. Um, and maybe forgiveness is for someone else. Um, if that's you today and you're ready to completely hand that over to God, you want to surrender that part of you, you just raise your hand for a moment. Awesome. There are others in this room that if I'm honest, and I, and I would place myself in this category, if I'm honest, have no real problem believing that God could forgive them but have a real legitimate issue with believing that God loves and wants to forgive some of the people around them in your life uh, that you don't like so much. And you need today to come to the realization that every single human being around you, whether it's a boss you don't like, an in-law you have a bad relationship with, an ex, an ex-boyfriend, ex-girlfriend, ex-wife, ex-husband, that they are loved by God. If that's you today, that you want Jesus to help you realize, help you come to the knowledge um, that all people are loved by him and all people are valued in that way, will you raise your hand today? That's awesome. Let's pray together. God, you are so, so, so good to us. constantly overwhelmed, constantly overwhelmed by the fact that you would choose not, not only to save us, not only to send your son to die for us, but that you actually want us, that you love us and desire a relationship with us. God, will you help us to take that away today, that we would walk away from this place feeling valued by you, Lord, and with a new sense of urgency that there are lost coins in this world, there are lost people that desperately need to know you that you are chasing after. God, let us play just a small part in that at the Center Church, God. Let us, let us play a role in finding the lost one. God, that's what we want to do here as a church today. So God, we love you. We'll give you all the thanks and all the praise for what you're going to do. And we pray all this in your holy and precious name. Amen.